good evening everyone also from my side. Um, it's great for me to be able to preach again tonight and uh, as you might know we're busy with a sermon series called Undignified and for the last couple of weeks we've been looking at what does it mean to live a lifestyle of worship and by looking at a lifestyle of worship we wanted to have moments in our service where we also looked at different expressions of worship. We looked at different Hebrew words and what does it mean in terms of worship. And for the extroverts, that's been awesome. We've been dancing here in the front and lifting up our hands and shouting. And uh, at one stage, we're going to ask you to kneel down and etc. And the extroverts love it. I mean, last Sunday, was, it was amazing. Those of you who were here, uh, half the church was dancing here in the front. Uh, I got some slack from some of our staff members. As more and more people came and danced here in the front, I sort of just quenched the way. I started in the first row, and I ended up, and I think, in the third row. Um, and not because I don't love Jesus. I'm just an introvert. And for the introverts, it's been tough. You're asking me to sing louder and do more stuff. Uh, the extroverts are just going, yeah, best church ever. Uh, just so glad we can shout and we can do stuff. I was been sitting too long on my chair. <laughs> um, but the heart behind all of this is that we'll grow in our love for Jesus. And that we'll not just have moments of expressions of worship, but that those moments will overflow into a lifestyle. A lifestyle that testifies. He is worthy. And tonight we're going to continue to speak on this. And tonight we're going to look at a theme that gives us a reason to worship God regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our personalities, and regardless of our emotions. I saw a video in this week of a guy that was, uh, I think you call it paragliding, when they jump off high places, our buildings with a parachute. And, um, and as he's drifting and floating downwards, he got caught up in a, um, a storm. A storm was brewing. And the winds of the storm just got hold of his parachute, and it blew him out over the ocean to a place where there was actually panic of what's going to happen to this guy. And eventually the winds turned and blew him in the other direction. But he was just blown back and forth by the storm winds. I hope tonight give us an anchor so that we will not be blown away by the storms of this life. That we'll be able to worship God, regardless of emotions, regardless of personalities, and circumstances. And we're going to do this. We, uh, last couple of weeks we looked at the life of David, and we're going to continue to look at the life of David. But tonight we're going to look at one of the very first moments in David's life that we know of. You could say this is the moment that set the stage for David. It set the stage of his influence and what God has called him to, and in, in a way set the stage of a life of worship. And we're going to read from 1 Samuel 17. Okay, if you have a Bible, or if it's on your phone, I'd love you to turn from one, to 1 Samuel 17. And this is a story that I believe all of us have heard before. This is a story about David and Goliath. If you grew up in, in church, almost every year in kids' church they teach on this story. It's a great story, but there's a danger that we might become so familiar with the outcome of the story that we miss the message for us today. 
So as we read this, we're going to look not just on the outcome. For those of you who don't know the story, David wins. That's not the, that's not the purpose of the sermon. We're going to look at the details of the story. And by looking at the details, we're going to trust God for a message for each one of us tonight. Okay. And I know the words is not on the screen, so if you don't have your Bible, it'll be good for you to close your eyes while I read, just to help you listen. Okay. Uh, but before we do this, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness, and your kindness, and your faithfulness, Lord. We thank you that we can um, study your word, listen to your word tonight. Lord, I pray that you would protect us by your spirit against any lies and any deception, and that you would bring truth to our hearts this evening. Lord, as we submit ourselves humbly to your word, I pray that you would make it alive and active and align our lives with that what you want to speak to us tonight. Lord, may you guide my words in such a way that it will bring honor unto your name. I pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So the Philistines and Israel facing each other in battle. It's a face-off between these two armies. And we're going to jump in 1 Samuel 17 verse 4. A champion named Goliath was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet and on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing this, the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Give me a man to fight. This is Goliath's taunt to the armies of Israel. Is there anyone brave enough to come and face me? Give me a man. Give me a man. Have you noticed how much detail the writer gives to describing Goliath? Don't you find it interesting that he went into great effort to describe in detail this man, this enemy, Goliath. He explains various things about this enemy. Have you ever wondered why? I was asking Alhart before, and who's the, who's the tallest in the evening service? I mean, we got a few nominations, but is there anyone that's willing to nominate yourself? Uh, sorry, just nominate. Shawl. Is there a shawl? Shawl, are you willing to stand up for us? Okay. Shawl, thank you for being... Okay, oh man, yeah. Shawl, would you... I don't want to embarrass you, but would you mind joining me on stage? That's fine. Okay. 
Uh, and Shaul, while you're doing it, Shaul, how, how tall are you? One nine seven. That's impressive. Um, Nettie, would you mind just handing me a chair, please, for a moment? Yeah. And then Aaron, would you mind joining me on stage as well? Okay. Um, so, Shaul, if you if you don't mind, this will make you close to three meters, I think. Okay. If you can stand there. Okay. I knew you'd be a good David. <laughs> so in, in, in a modern language for us to understand, one of the features that he is describing about Goliath is that Goliath was almost three meters tall. He was a monster of a man. Sure, I would love it if you could just like go like... like. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Let's give the man. He's doing great sport. Thanks, guys. Thanks. The writer goes through extreme detail to give us a picture of the enemy that the army was facing. Goliath was almost three meters tall. He was a giant of the man. Just the armor that he wore over his chest weighed almost 55 kilograms. Some of you weigh 55 kilograms. <laughs> Imagine Charles standing on a chair carrying you over his shoulders. He was a massive man with enormous strength. And the writer goes through immense detail to describe this challenge that Israel faced. I believe he's doing it to help us understand not just the size of the man, but the impossible challenge that was laid in front of the armies of Israel. What they were facing seemed impossible. And Goliath taunts them and he says, give me a man. What he's asking, is there anyone brave enough to come forward? Looking at Goliath, it seemed impossible for anyone to defeat him. What impossible circumstances are you facing? If you just think about the details of the circumstance that you're facing, if you think about all the things that need to fall in place, all the challenges that you have to overcome, if you think about the details, it just seems impossible. What impossible circumstances or challenges are you facing? You look at it and you go, I don't know how I'm going to defeat this. It might be finances. It might be your mental health. You might be you've been struggling for years and years and years, and you just don't know how you're going to defeat this impossible challenge. It might be an uncertain future. It might be relationships or relational challenges or family challenges. 
If you think about it, you just go, it's impossible. I don't know how. Now at this stage, David's not part of Saul's army. He's not part of the armies of Israel. He's still, he's still a teenager. And he's looking after his father's sheep, but his three oldest brothers are in the army. And at one stage, his father sends him to the army and he says, go and see if your brothers are okay. Go and take some supplies to them and see if they are okay. And that's where we're going to jump in, verse 22. But before we do that, for 40 days, go and read the story for yourself. For 40 days, every day, this giant of a man, Goliath, came out and he shouted, give me a man. For more than a month, the army of Israel has been cowering away against the threats of this giant. Give me a man. Verse 22, David arrives at this army. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, you just love, it's just his title. He's the champion of Gath. As he was talking, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps on coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and he will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Now, if this was South Africa, surely there was a man that would step up. <laughs> you don't have to pay taxes. If Goliath was facing a South African army, there was, there was someone, no taxes? It's like 50-50, let's go for this. David asked the men, he asked the men standing near him, what will be done? What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this, this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David hears his taunt, and he goes, what? Who's this guy that he can speak against the army of God? This is the first time that God is mentioned in the story. 26 verses, and for 26 verses, we don't hear the name or mention of God at all. Up until this moment, there's been no mention of God. David introduces God into the circumstances. And he says, who's this Philistine that he would challenge the armies of God? 
It's almost as if Saul and the armies of Israel has forgotten about God. Up until this point, the army is referred to as the men of Saul and the army of Israel. But David says it's the armies of God. It's almost as if, they, if they, they've forgotten that they belong to God. It's, it's like they've, they've forgotten about God. Facing this impossible threat, they forgot about God. And how did this affect them? How did it, this impossible threat and the absence of God affect the army of Israel? Now, if I say the absence of God, God wasn't absent. Just in their mind, they forgot about Him. How did it influence them, facing this impossible threat? Well, we read, they were dismayed and terrified. Dismayed can also be translated as to be shattered. This army was shattered by fear. They were broken physically, spiritually, and emotionally by fear. Dismayed. And terrified, paralyzed by fear. We read there that they, they lost heart. To lose heart means you become discouraged and hopeless. For 40 days, he's just been belittling them and speaking over them. And they've cowered away in fear. They've become paralyzed and they've lost all hope. We read that whenever he came out, they were filled with fear and they wanted to flee. They wanted to run away. They just wanted to escape the circumstances. And Goliath challenges them. He says, if you lose, you would become subject to us and serve us. The sad reality is, they're already subjected to Goliath. They are already serving the threat and fear of Goliath. Goliath already has control and authority over this army. They are paralyzed by his threats. And as sad as this might be, the same things happen to us when we are faced with an impossible threat and we forget about God. And let's be honest, we can forget about God. But they, sometimes the, the challenge in front of us is just so big that we forget about God. Sometimes it's going so well in our lives that we forget about God. But the same effect sinks in when we're faced with an impossible task and we take God out of the equation. We're paralyzed with fear. We become discouraged and hopeless. And we try to escape. We try to run away. And we run away in various ways. We try to escape and find solitude or safety in various things. When, it go, when it's going really tough and it's emotional and you're struggling to cope, some people run towards food. And they find comfort in food. Other people run to alcohol just want to escape, just want to forget for a moment, just want to feel better. We rely on that moment, protection from alcohol. Some people run to drugs and other substances 
just for a moment, to forget about the impossible threat in front of us. Some people flee and try to find escape in pornography, sex. And we run to these things to help us forget, to help us to flee. Paralyzed by fear to the point where we are shattered and broken. Where we lose all fight that is in us. And eventually we are mastered and controlled. Either by fear or by the things that we run to. And the same thing happens to us. That happened to the army of Israel. But David. David brings God into the situation. David says, it's not the army of Saul, it's not the army of Israel, it's the army of God. Now Saul finds out about this. Saul hears a rumor that there's a guy that's brave enough. And Saul has this guy brought to him. And David comes to Saul, and this is where we're going to jump in again. We're going to read a lot of scripture tonight, we're going to look at the details. So now David and Saul has this conversation in verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. I love this. David says, let, let no one else go and suffer any longer on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Now, if this was a movie, I mean, this, this is like the... Have you watched The Last Avengers? Okay. I might use a reference to some people that you might not know. But for me, this is the moment where Captain America just picks up Thor's hammer. I'm like, yeah, come on, give me a man. And David says, I'm your guy. Give me a man. And David says, let no one else lose heart, for I will go. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion, and the bear. Now, if I was Saul, I was like, what? <laughs> a lion and a bear? Let me just, whoa, 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 back up, back, back up. Tell me about this lion. Is it like a, like a cat lion? Like a baby lion? Like a lady lion? Or lion, lion? Tell me about this lion. David says, no. I've killed a lion that tried to kill the sheep of my flock. And when there was a bear, I, was, I fought the bear off. And then he goes on. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord will rescue me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Sure. 
Give me a man. And David says, I'm your guy. But three things happens in this moment. The narrative changes. Up until this moment, it's hopeless and despair and filled with fear. But David introduces God into the narrative. And David says, because of God, I will go. And the story changes. Three things happen. The first thing that happens, David reflects over God's faithfulness. David, David looks back over his life and he says, God was there when there was a lion. God was there when there was a bear. And now when I'm faced with this impossible giant, God will be there again. God is faithful. In the midst of this impossible circumstances, David introduces God and he says, because of his faithfulness, there's a hope that God will do it again. God has already proven himself, therefore there's a hope that he will rescue again. Second thing that happens. Reminded of God's faithfulness and standing in the hope that he will do it again. And then there's a third thing. Based on God's faithfulness and the hope that he will do it again, David acts in courage, in courageous faith. He acts in courageous faith based on God's faithfulness and the hope of his promise. And he says, I will go. He's not just saying what God is able to do. He acts with courageous faith based on God's faithfulness and the hope of his promises. When God enters a situation, everything changes. The narrative of the story changed. God enters this equation, and what seemed impossible becomes possible. Hope is found in the situation that seemed hopeless. Peace overcomes fear, and courage and faith are found in brokenness. The narrative changes. And David steps out to face Goliath. Courageous faith. Verse 42. Goliath looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and to the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. The battle belongs to God. David faces up to Goliath. And I have this moment in my head with Goliath just cursing him and, and coming at him. And David goes, whoa, stop. You've defiled the armies of the living God. 
And you will see today and the whole world will know that it's not by my strength, not by my abilities, and not by a spear and a sword, but by the name of the Lord that you will die. Because the battle belongs to God. What a powerful declaration of faith. The battle belongs to God. It was true for David, but is it true for you? It's true for him in this moment, but facing an impossible threat, impossible circumstances, is it true for you? Can you confidently go and face those circumstances and say, the battle belongs to God? Can you do it? Or are you paralyzed by fear? Is this statement true for us? See, not only is this story about David and Goliath a story that inspires faith and inspires something about the faithfulness and the mighty hand of God, the story of David and Goliath also points us to a greater story. See, in this world, all of us will face a giant that we cannot defeat. In this world, we'll face an impossible battle. You might overcome difficult circumstances, and you might outlast challenges. But there's a battle that you cannot win. There's a giant that you will face that you cannot defeat. All of us will someday face the Goliath of death. No matter what you do, you cannot defeat it. All of us will die. It's a battle that we cannot win. And because of our sin, it's a moment that we are supposed to fear deeply. It's a battle that we are supposed to face. And it is a battle that we are supposed to fear. Because we know we cannot win. And we know that when we die, we will be accountable for the way that we lived. And we should fear that moment. Too often in church we shy away from speaking on death and the afterlife. We want to stick to topics that makes us feel good. How God says and God is mighty and God loves us. But there's another other part in the story that says there is a giant that you're going to face and you will lose. And it's death. And because of sin, we'll face judgment. We'll be held accountable for the way that we lived. It's an impossible talk, task. And we will lose. But Jesus, just like David introduced a different narrative to this story, so Jesus brings a different narrative to the story of our lives. See, Jesus faced this giant. 
and he defeated sin and death. Jesus was the only one able to do this. He's the only one able to go up against the giant of death and defeat sin and death. And because of him, and only because of him, we don't have to fear that battle. We don't have to fear the afterlife. We don't have to fear losing to death. We don't have to fear the consequences of sin because of him. Because of him, we are forgiven of sin. And if we put our faith and trust in hope in what he's already done, he has already defeated it. It's not going to happen someday. Jesus has already done it. If we put our faith and hope in him, we can confidently stand in this moment with the hope and the promise that we share in his victory, not just in the afterlife, but also in the victorious life here. And therefore, the words, the battle belongs to God, is true for us. Because of Jesus. Because of His victory, we are victorious. Paul explains this to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. And I know you can't turn there that quickly, so I'm just going to read it slowly. For now... For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. What Paul is saying to this church, all the promises of God is fulfilled in Jesus. It is already done. And therefore we say, Amen, let it be so to the glory of God. We face impossible circumstances and we go, the battle belongs to God. Amen, Lord, let your will be done for your glory. It's fulfilled in Jesus. And that's why in impossible circumstances we can stand and we can reflect over the faithfulness of God. And we turn to the cross. We don't turn to our own lives and our own victories. We turn to the cross and we go, because of the cross, because of Jesus, God is faithful. He has already shown that He cares. He's already shown that He loves. He's already shown that He's defeated death. He's already shown that He's defeated sin. He's already shown that all promises are fulfilled in Him. And I look back on the faithfulness of God, and I stand in the hope of His promises that He will do it again. And I don't go out, and now I'm this mighty warrior. We're not David. We're the army. Jesus is David. And we reflect over his faithfulness, and we stand in the hope of his promises, and we go, Jesus, out of courageous faith, what do you call me to do? And I'll follow you. Because you're the David. The battle belongs to you. How do you want me to obey? And out of faith, we act and we obey. But the battle belongs to him. And therefore, all of us always have a reason to worship. Because he's already won. 
regardless of your circumstances, regardless of the impossible thing that's lying in front of you, regardless of your personality and your emotions, we're not blown by the storms of life because the battle belongs to God and He has already won. And therefore we worship Him. And with confidence we say, the battle belongs to Jesus. Amen. Let's close our eyes. And before we conclude, I want to give you a moment just to think over God's faithfulness in your life. And just for a moment, try and reflect, where's those moments where you faced a lion, a bear, challenges, impossible circumstances, and you've seen God come through? Reflect over his faithfulness, and some of us need to reflect over his faithfulness on the cross tonight. We need to ask the question Was it enough? And as you reflect over his faithfulness, don't you want to thank him? thank him that is proven over and over and over again that he is able and faithful As we're doing this, as we're reflecting over his faithfulness, there might be some people here tonight that if you're honest, the narrative of your story has not yet changed. You're still facing the fear of death, fear of facing impossible circumstances alone. You might have forgotten about God, Somewhere along the line, you've, you've just forgot to turn to him. And the narrative of your story has not yet changed. You might realize tonight that you're still trying to fight the battle on your own. And you cannot say confidently that the battle belongs to God. That's you tonight. If you know, God, I need you. I need you to come and change the narrative of my story, the narrative of my life. If you want to say, God, I want to put my faith and trust in what you've already done. For the first time, give my life to you and trust you. If that's you, would you stand in this moment? And I realize tonight there's also people that's facing impossible circumstances. And we want to pray into that. We want to minister into that.
So if you're facing an impossible thing in front of you, you just fear and know our fear is paralyzing you, would you stand in this moment? You don't have to explain what it is. It's a moment to say, God, the battle belongs to you. What I want us to do now, I want us to be spiritual family. I want you to turn to someone that's standing. And I want us to gather around them. And in a moment, we want to pray for them. We want to pray courageous faith into their lives. We want to hand the battle over to God. You don't have to explain what's happening. We're just going to pray into this moment. We're going to pray that God would minister into them. So let's gather around these people. And I'm going to give a couple of moments that we pray into these circumstances and just pray for each other. Thank you for those of you who are standing, who's acknowledging that you need God. As some of us are standing now and you, you need prayer and nobody's gathering around you, just raise your hand so that we don't miss you. But we want to pray into this. So let's pray for each other. Yes, Lord, as we turn our eyes and our focus onto you, as we reflect over your faithfulness, Lord, it's with humble hearts that we come to you, Lord, and we say, Lord, we need you. Lord, we know the battle belongs to you, Lord, and from our human nature, we look at these circumstances and it just feels impossible, Lord. And fear is creeping in, Lord, but tonight we come to you, Lord, and we want to thank you for what you've already done, Lord Jesus. Thank you that we can stand in the confidence of your victory, Lord. And we acknowledge, Lord, that on our own we'll fail horribly. But, Lord, for you nothing is impossible. And, Lord, I pray and you, I ask that you would forgive us for where we've forgotten about you. Where we've turned our eyes on, on this giant that we're facing and we've lost sight of who you are. But, Lord, tonight we remind ourselves. Remind ourselves of what you've already done. And we hold on to the hope that we have in you, Lord Jesus. And we declare that it is enough. It is done. So Lord, would you come? Would you come in this moment? Based on your faithfulness and your goodness and your love, Father God, I pray that you would send your spirit in this moment. I pray that your peace will come and settle people's hearts. Lord, fill us again with your grace and your mercy. Fill us with your joy, Lord. Fill us with your peace. 
You know exactly what everyone is facing that's standing in this moment, Lord. And I pray that you will be greater, that you will make them aware of your presence, Lord, and that you would come and settle circumstances in this moment. And Lord, based on what you've done, we appeal to your glory, Lord. We appeal that you would come with might and strength and that you would do the impossible, Lord. That you would come and move and, and change circumstances, Lord. That you would come and bring breakthrough, Lord. That you would come and bring victory, Lord. That you would come and remove these obstacles, these challenges that people are facing, Lord. I pray for healing to come in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for provision in your name, Lord Jesus, that will glorify you, Lord. Lord, I pray for restoration to happen in families and relationships. Lord, I pray for mental health. In this moment, Lord, may you come and do something and bring breakthrough, Lord, because the battle belongs to you, Lord. It's not from our strength. Our hope and our trust is in you. We need you, Lord Jesus. We thank you tonight for what you've already done on the cross. Thank you for every sickness, every challenge, every circumstances that's nailed to the cross, every spiritual attack that we're facing. And we're asking now, Lord, may you help us to walk in victory. We pray this in your wonderful and your powerful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. When facing Goliath, David said, God will come through so that the whole world will know. God will rescue. And the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. Our victory and our worship is not about us. It is so that the whole world will know that there is a God and He is alive in your life. That there is a God and He is alive in every nation, Swanee Willows. That there is a God and He is alive in Equestria. And that there is a God and He is alive in Pretoria. And there is a God and He is alive in South Africa. And the whole world will know that He is worthy to be praised and honored and worshipped. Because there is no one like Him. Our victories is because of Jesus. And it's for Jesus. And that's why we worship that's why we worship regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our personalities, and regardless of our emotions, because the battle belongs to Him, and the world needs to know. And Jesus said to His disciples, I'm going to give you a sign to remind you. You're going to face battles in this world. You're going to go through circumstances, and you're going to need reminding that I've already won. And Jesus took bread and he took the wine and he said, this is a symbol of my body that was broken for you for the forgiveness of your sins and my blood that was shed so that you can have victorious life. You don't have to fear death. That you can walk in new life that I have for you. And Jesus says, whenever you use this, remember me. Remember my faithfulness. Remember my love. Remember that I've already won. May this be the sign that the battle belongs to me. 
walking courageously. So tonight we're going to share in communion as a reflection on what Jesus has done, as a reflection on the victory that we have in Christ Jesus. So I want to encourage you to stand up. You can do this on your own. You can do this with your friends. But to come and take some of the communion elements here in the front and remind yourself of God's faithfulness. And from that place, just worship Him and thank Him so that the world will know that there is a God that is alive. So let's stand and let's remind ourselves. There's communion here in the front. There's also communion there in the back. Let's use this time to reflect on God's faithfulness.